Missio, today's scripture reading is in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 to 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Good morning. My name is Heather and I'm one of the pastors here. The one that gets to go on holiday. <laughs> yes. Not sad about it, going to admit that, not sad about it at all. It's a little wobbly, but we're going to make it work. Um, in order to actually take rest, you have to acknowledge that you're tired, I think. Sometimes, you know, we get so busy and into the midst of things that we forget that we're tired or we push our tiredness away and we don't rest because we don't know that we're tired right? So today we're going to do something a little bit participatory because sometimes I'm tired of being the only one speaking on a Sunday morning. So I just want you to think for a second, just take a deep breath, and I want you to think about what is making you tired. What are you tired of? And I want you to just call it out. You think you'd do it? <laughs> what are you tired of? Tired of staying at home, yes. Tired of masks. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah. What else? What are you tired of? Totally. Yes. Tired of many people dying in many different ways. The hands of the police from a pandemic, we were tired of that. Totally. School, who said that? Where are you? Yes! Tired of school, because school is tiring, right? Children, yes! Chung Nellimo is tired of children. Fair play, fair play. This is my favorite that we're talking right now. I am not tired of this. What else? What else are you tired of? Yes, tired of being inauthentic, tired of fakeness. It's a really good thing to name. I'm tired of that too. Anyone else have anything? Just like maybe one more thing. Can you say that again? Illness in general? Yes. I think illness and physical pain is one of the most wearying things. We can all just be like, yeah, we feel tired of these things. And I know there are other things in your minds and things that you walk in today weary with. 
Some of us may be tired of relationships and conflict. Maybe you're tired of your own inner critic. Tired of religious duty or tired of loneliness. There's lots of things that we walk in here with today that make us feel tired. And in Isaiah 58, which is the passage that um, Julie just read from, it's a, quite a long passage, and at the beginning of the passage, I'd encourage you to read the whole passage. At the beginning of the passage, I was struck as I was reading it because it tells us what God is weary of. That God, in that passage, says that he's weary of like self-serving religious activity. Makes God tired. Reducing God to like a checklist of things to do. And then like humans showing up with resentment because God doesn't like do what we think God should do. So it's like the beginning of this passage that God is like basically saying, dude, I'm tired of being treated like a slot machine. Where where this thing that we have is transactional. Your good behavior equals my good behavior. God's like, dude, I am tired of that. And to be fair, I think maybe some of us are a little tired of that too. And I think the reason why God says that he's tired of that is because God is about presence. Maybe God would be like, yeah, that's inauthentic. God's about presence and connection and belonging. And when God makes the world, it's fundamentally full of goodness. It's about goodness. You know, every day when you look in the book of Genesis, it's like God made, God made, and it was good, and it was good. And then on the seventh day, it was a very good. And the seventh day didn't have like a morning and an evening. It was just like very good. That statement kind of hang in the air goodness and the seventh day it says that God on the seventh day it says that God rested and sometimes I think when we hear the word rest we think oh we had a good sleep or we had a nap or we took a vacay and so we rest we rested but the biblical word rest is more robust than that when God rested it was this picture that there was a sense of completeness, a sense of rightness, a sense of flourishing and wholeness. And the word there is goodness. It's together. Those two things are married together. This rest is about goodness. So it's deeper than just a good night's sleep. And so there's a day in the Bible that is set aside for resting, and it's called Sabbath. And that's where we get the word sabbatical from, which is what I'm about to go and have, a sabbatical. It's from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And Shabbat means to stop. And when God rested, it was this picture of stopping to enjoy goodness. That's why God rested, shabbated, stopped in order to enjoy goodness. He enjoyed goodness with 
with humans that he created and enjoyed goodness with creation. And it was this stopping moment to take in goodness. And so when we read in Isaiah 58 that unfortunately, rather than making the day about rest, the people of Israel had turned it into these religious antics and had had a lot of fighting. And so God said that he was tired of that. And the passage goes on to say that God would rather have seen God's people loving their neighbor or acts of compassion or generosity or justice because all of that speaks more to goodness than these kind of religious antics that they were up to. But even with acts of justice and works of compassion and humanity, like we can lose sight of God. So they lost sight of God over there in their religious antics. But when we practice social justice, we can also lose sight of God. We burn out. Or the way that we do justice diminishes the purposes behind it. Sometimes we try and do justice, but the way that we do it is unjust. And so in the middle of these polarities of Isaiah 58 between these religious antics and then this encouragement to do the goodness of social justice, in comes this passage or this end of the passage that Julie read to us. It's about Sabbath. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, And from doing as you please on my holy days, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast in the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." This invitation back to true Sabbath refocuses our attention. Sabbath is a way of life. And it's one of the biggest themes in the entire Bible. It's repeated over and over and again. But it's maybe the one that we know the least about. But it's really important to see how it arcs over the entire text. It's just like this sweeping reality. And it'd be really hard for me to try and like tell that narrative. So going to steal um, John and Tim from the Bible Project so that they can show us their lovely video on Sabbath so we can get the sweeping gravity and brevity of Sabbath that comes to us from the text. So here it is. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. 
On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans, who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost. Life is a struggle. They're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate Jubilee of freedom and rest would come but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness and all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right? You see from the video that it's a really important theme that runs all the way through the text. This idea of rest and weariness. Like experiencing rest in the places of weariness and in chaos. And so much so that God asked the people to practice rest in the wilderness. And to practice it in some really specific ways with Shabbat. So weekly to practice that in the wilderness. And then yearly with like seven feasts. And sometimes if you read Leviticus, you're like, wow, they're like taking off all the time. Like sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's the beginning of the seventh day that they're supposed to take off at the beginning of the week and then seven days. And sometimes it's the beginning of the week and the end of the week. And you're like, they're getting a lot of holidays, these people in the wilderness. And then every seven years, so they do it weekly and then they did it like seven times every year. And then every seven years, the Israelites were supposed to liberate their slaves and they were supposed to forgive debts and they were supposed to let the land rest for a whole year so they could take the crops that grew like randomly off the land, but the land needed to rest. It's this picture that like all things need to have rest. And so every seven years, debts would be canceled, slaves would be freed, the land would get rest. Like, can you see a theme here? It's like rest is super important. And then, every seven times seven years, it's like the year of jubilee. So it's an even bigger picture of rest, where all things are forgiven and all things are restored. And so these Sabbath feasts and this year of jubilee and all of these things were pointing to something and asking the people to root themselves in goodness to root themselves in goodness and to practice hope and to do it even in the midst of the wilderness. And that's hard to do, to practice goodness and root in hope when things feel barren and long and uncertain, when all the things that we've named seem like they keep on going on and on and bring us weariness. It's maybe hard sometimes to practice goodness, to root ourselves in hope. And yet this is what God consistently asks us to do, ask people to do, and it's why we just celebrated Easter. Easter um, in the traditional church is called Eastertide. Ta-da! Isn't that cool? Thanks, Johnny, for making great visuals. Um, and Eastertide is actually, you know, sometimes we just celebrate Easter on the day, but Eastertide is actually 50 days. It's supposed to be 50 days of celebrating Easter, which we, we do sometimes a good job of Lent fasting, but we do less of a good job of feasting. We're supposed to be rocking 50 days of celebrating Easter. And I think the purpose for that is similar to the purpose of like what Sabbath was. Like it's so that we get into practice of celebrating and being about goodness in the world to root in the hope of Jesus. To root in the hope of Jesus in the midst of all the things that make us tired. That's what Easter tide is about. 
And as John and Tim said in the video, when Jesus walked into the synagogue, as he began his ministry, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah 61. And he declared basically a jubilee. He announced it. And they had never actually practiced jubilee. Supposed to have happened every 50 years. And there's no record of Israel ever practicing jubilee. Bummer. Big bummer, right? So sad. What a beautiful thing to practice. And they're just like, no thanks to that. No thanks to restoration and forgiveness and equity. Because we're just busy working. Working ourselves to the bone. Enslaving other people and getting ourselves enslaved. And so when Jesus steps in and reads Isaiah 61, he also actually quotes Isaiah 58. Kind of throws Isaiah 58 in the middle of there, the line about Sabbath. Because I think what Jesus was like reminding the people that were hearing it is that Jesus' presence is about rest. And that doesn't mean that everyone gets a holiday. That means that Jesus' presence is about restoring goodness. And so when Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath, which happens very quickly after that, the religious people get really testy with him because they're like, what are you doing working on that day off? And Jesus like, cannot even get his head around that. Because he's like, no, what I'm actually doing here is practicing goodness, which is exactly the point. You've forgotten the point of Sabbath. The point of Sabbath is about goodness. That's creating rest. And so for Jesus, rest is about goodness. And so he offers rest from sickness when he touches people's faces and heals them. When he touches eyes and skin, it's about rest from sickness. When Jesus comes, he offers rest from guilt to those who have betrayed spouses and cheated others out of money. Jesus offers rest from guilt. Jesus takes shame from outcasts, people that other people Others don't see or that society is deemed unworthy. Instead, he gives them rest from that shame by bringing worth and dignity and honor. So he gives rest from shame. And everywhere that he goes, he's creating environments where people are sharing with one another. And so people are released and given rest from poverty through love. That's what it means to be offering rest. Rest from sickness, rest from guilt, rest from shame, rest from poverty. That's what it means to be rested. He becomes the active presence of God in the world and with him comes tangible goodness, which is rest. And so in Matthew chapter 11, when people come to him and ask who he is, he looks out at the crowd and he says, come to me. 
Come to me, all of you who are weary. Come to me, all of you who are tired and weary. And I will give you rest. And so I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it mean now that Jesus gives rest? What does that mean now? Well, there's a social entity that Jesus leaves behind that is supposed to continue practicing jubilee, Sabbath jubilee. A group of people to live out this way of life, the way of rest, the way of Sabbath, the way of stopping, the way of goodness. And it shows up in Acts where people live generously and create space for others and producing equity and there's forgiveness and sacrifice and it shows up in all kinds of ways and you see these people practicing goodness and rooting in the hope of it. The hope of goodness that they received in Christ. And I feel like Every time I'm up here, I talk about this organization called Homeboy Industries because I cannot get enough of it. So if you haven't looked it up yet, here you go. Here I go again. It's time to look it up. Gregory Boyle. Father Gregory Boyle, Homeboy Industries in L.A. Yes, get it? It is amazing. It's amazing. I'm so, it's just so fun to chit chat while, while I'm up here. Yes, it's in L.A., And there's an intention behind his ministry and his intention is that he would speak tenderness into a space of violence. And so in LA, there's there's this violence that happens between folks who are from different gangs and there are these cycles of violence that happen and he kind of built this like community of people that would speak tenderness into spaces of violence. To me, that's a picture of goodness. That's what rest from violence looks like. It's to not have someone come at you with the same force, but instead to receive you with gentleness. And it's disrupting the cycles. And you're like, yeah, dude, that's what it looks like to practice rest. Get it, Father Greg? Rooted in goodness. Practicing book's called Tattoos in the Heart. Get a hold of it. It's going to teach us how to practice goodness and rest. There's another woman um, that I want to talk about because she's another woman that's helped me to understand goodness. She's a sister in a convent and I spent a couple of years with this community of people and the woman, she's probably in her 80s and one of the most playful humans I've ever met. My love for birds comes from my family but is doubled down by Sister Joan. Like, I'd be in a class with her, and all of a sudden, like, Johnny thinks that I, like, look out of the window, and I'm not doing anything. Literally, Sister Joan would be, like, in the middle of teaching us a class, and all of a sudden, something outside would catch her attention, and she would stop teaching. She'd just be, like, gazing out the window at the tree, or whatever it was, and we're like, what's up, Sister Joan? She's like, well, we just still need to pause a minute, and look at that. Isn't that beautiful? We're like, all right. And not, not for a short amount of time. Sometimes it would be a, 
quite a few minutes. One time I had gone there just to visit her and we were sitting and having lunch and um, they would have schnapps after their meals. And so we're sitting there and I've finished my meal and she looks at me and she's like, just go and get yourself some schnapps. And she was delighted in the fact that like they just have these little yumminess after the meal. So unexpectedly playful, this woman. And I think there are kinds of practices that invite us to goodness and they catch us off guard. Gregory Boyle, his practice catches God and its invitation to goodness. Sister Joan, her practices catch us all off guard and suddenly become an invitation to goodness. And there's freedom and creativity and hope in Sabbath rest. And it's the Holy Spirit who guides us rhythmically and faithfully to live out this vision and hope for Sabbath rest. I think sometimes we get practices that we like and we turn them into expectations for others. You need to take a day off. You need to dead, dead, dead. You need to be about this and that. And you're like, oh, this doesn't sound very restful now that it's become some kind of expectation. Oh, we set a bar and measure everyone by it. Religious people are exceptionally good at that. But I feel like it kind of robs us of the whole point. Because there are many, many, many good ways of practicing goodness and rooting in it. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's also really easy to get into the grind. Get so engaged in the hustle and the grind of work that we forget to enjoy. We forget to practice goodness. It doesn't, it's no longer a priority. Or it hasn't even been modeled to us as a priority. It's a rare person that does that. And we've named all the ways that we're tired. And I've been a pastor now for 17 years. 17 years of a pastor. 10 years in Portland and now 7 years here. And I do feel tired. I feel tired. And I feel ready for a rest. I feel ready for this gift of sabbatical that I'm about to receive. Might even get a little teary, but I'm telling myself I'm not going to. Just going to express gratitude. And I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone and She's in the middle of a divorce. Her spouse has been unfaithful. She has two children, and she's in the middle of doing her degree because she wants to get to a place where she can support herself. And I had so much discomfort telling her I was about to take three months off. Like the sheer audacity of me to say that to her. Woman's in the grind in so many ways. But I told her, because she's my friend. And um, she was so delighted for me. 
just so delighted for me. And after that feeling a little uncomfortable with even her like delight in me for being able to have this rest, um, I asked her, like, well, how do you do it? How do you root into goodness in this current wilderness situation that you are caught up in? And she said to me, sometimes I just take an extra long hot shower, like way too long. And she's like, and sometimes it's just about eating really good food. She's like, it's a choice to just like double down on all the yumminess for the day. And after that conversation and her delight, it helped me to unburden from that sense of discomfort. Because sometimes rooting in goodness, we have to unburden from the discomfort of actually moving towards it and rooting in it. She helped me to unburden in order to enjoy goodness. And the week before Easter, I took this cup. I didn't take communion that day. It was an intentional choice because I knew I was about to head out on sabbatical and I was like, I want to step into goodness and enjoy goodness. And one of the ways that I need to do that is that I need to unburden myself. There are some people that have hurt me and harmed me. And in order to, un, in order to enjoy goodness, I have to forgive them. And so the week before Easter, I, um, I was super intentional about naming the ways that I've been harmed over the last few years. in order to be able to forgive, to unburden myself. Because sometimes it's like, I think we just have to tell ourselves, oh yeah, I just, I forgive that person, I forgive that person, but forgiveness isn't denial. We have to tell ourselves the truth about the ways that we have been hurt. How it's affected us. And so I did that every day the week before Easter, because I wanted to be the recipient of God's love. I wanted to be the recipient of forgiveness. And it felt hypocritical for me to, do, to celebrate that on Easter without having done the work myself to forgive. And so there are many things that we can do. We unburden from discomfort unburdened from resentment. We unburdened from bitterness. There are many ways that we unburden in order to step into goodness. And so I am going to enjoy goodness for three whole months. She ready. And I will let you know how it goes. But I will to extend an invitation because it is Eastertide. Eastertide, monsieur. And what if for the next 50 days you chose something every day that helped you to practice goodness 
and root into the hope of it. And it could be as simple as my friend, like you take an extra long hot shower or you enjoy some really good food or you're, an intention, you're intentional about a, a great conversation with an old friend. Maybe you drive to look at something beautiful just for the sheer sake of it. Maybe you spend a little extra money on childcare. John Nellimo. Or maybe you unburden. Maybe there's a few things you need to unburden from. It could just be a sense of duty and responsibility or like constancy or that extra hour at work just don't stay. season of Lent leading up is about fasting and Easter time, Eastertide is about feasting and sharing and generosity. And so, Missio, we are the social entity that Jesus leaves behind to keep on the practice of Sabbath Jubilee. Maybe you give some money away. Like There's plenty of things to do that root us in goodness. Maybe there's a tenderness you offer onto Facebook that you haven't seen in a really long time. We're a group of people that live out the Jesus way of life. And so when we see each other practicing and rooting into goodness and the hope of it, it becomes a practice that collectively becomes an invitation to goodness, like Sister Joan. And can you imagine if that's how the world saw the church? As one massive invitation into goodness? I don't know that that's the story that we tell. But can you imagine if it was? Dude, those people will be inviting me to goodness. I'm about to get after that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, I think it would. So, Missio, let's be that kind of people. Not because we have to, but because of Jesus. And practicing goodness is worship. And practicing goodness is prayer. And practicing goodness, it's faithfulness. And it's not pretending an absence of doubt or difficulty but it's a practical way to root ourselves in hope in the midst of it. And showing up with simple, those simple kinds of things can be its own form of activism. A way to defy the grind and the hustle and the cutthroat and the cruel and tired world. So let's practice Easter tide, right? Let's root in hope in order to speak hope. Hope in Jesus. Hope in rest. Hope in goodness. So I'm going to do that thing again that maybe is going to be a little uncomfortable. I want you to just take a minute of silence and then I want you to think about one thing that could help you root in goodness. And I want you to speak it out. Because maybe someone else in here is going to get like a mad good idea from you, right? Be invited in through your like great idea. 
And it's okay if no one says anything, but I really hope you do. So just a moment of quiet. Think about something this week that you want to do that's going to root you in goodness. It could be that you just turn music on in your kitchen and dance around like a mad person on your own. It doesn't matter what it is. I'll give you a second that I'm going to ask you. How can you Sabbath? How can you root in goodness? Get it. Some exchanges going on. Offering some babysitting. What else? What else is going to root you, people? Sitting in the sun. Yes, please. Staring at the stars. It's going to root you in goodness. Eating chocolate. About to root you in goodness. Taking, taking a walk. I love a walk. Such a good way to root. Playing the guitar for an hour. So lovely. Singing out loud and proud. Get it, Kurt? Yes. Getting in the Bible. Learning the story. Knowing the story. Rooting. Getting on a bike ride with each other. Yes. I think there's something so lovely about being on a bicycle. I was just on a bicycle. It's a great way to root in goodness and doing it together. What else? Weaving. Say that again. Sorry, one more time, David. Helping a neighbor. Yes. That equity and exchange and being together. And I'm sure those of you online, just say them out loud wherever you are. Just say them out loud getting awkward. I'm kind of loving it. <laughs> Just a couple more. Writing letters. Some of the most lovely things I receive are letters from friends. Such a way to root in goodness. One more. I know you've got it in you. And art, art. Miss Hill, there are so many ways that we can root in goodness. So many ways. And us being rooted in goodness becomes an invitation. And so practice Easter Tide. Again, not because we have to, but because it's a practice. A practice that reminds us who we are.
a practice that roots us in what is true. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Rest from guilt, rest from shame, rest from the hustle. And it gives us the permission to stop and enjoy. And this is another reminder, it's the table, a reminder that we're forgiven, a reminder that we're loved, a reminder that we're seen, a reminder that we're known, a reminder that we belong. And it's out of that kind of security that we can be people that speak with tenderness into violence, that we can play when life is just crazy busy. So as you take this communion, let it be a reminder. This is a a practice. Let it be a reminder of these practices that we want to do during Eastertide. Monsieur, let's pray. Jesus, I um, acknowledge that it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable in the midst of a world that is full of heaviness and weariness and tiredness to, to think of the practice of grounding in goodness. And yet, It's all over the text. And so I pray that you would help us to name the ways that we need to unburden in order to be able to step towards goodness. Would you help us to be people that help others to unburden so that they can step into goodness? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to be in this rhythm with you so that we know how to practice rest? And so, Jesus, we just acknowledge that we need you to help us, and we know that you will through your Spirit. And so I pray that Missio would be a community of people of invitation in this way. And I pray that I myself would come back, as Johnny said, with the gifts of goodness to give back to this community. And I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.